Welcome again to Alpi Parsha Podcast. Each week, we take a light dive into this week's Torah portion. We connect it to Judaism, and we see what we can learn about our lives from this Torah portion. As always, I am Paul Saleka, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by... Aaron Rotenberg. Hi, everyone. Hey, Paul. Nice to be back. Nice to be back. Can you believe it? We're already at our fourth podcast episode. Four is amazing. You know, it's double of two. It's two squared. So um, I'm feeling confident about this. Woohoo. What have you gotten up to? What did you do this weekend? (laughs) You know, for me, Aaron, I have to be honest. I don't remember what I did over the weekend. I got a little bit sick, which I know everyone does this time of year. What did you do this weekend? I feel like last weekend you did. Did you go to New York? Yeah, I did. I was in New York. Uh, at the Yeshivat Hadar National Shabbaton, or the Mechon Hadar. Uh, I studied at a summer yeshiva program uh, with an amazing organization called Hadar. Yeah, yeah, this was a big gathering. I haven't been in like a Jewish community space with that many people since before the pandemic. So it was moving to like do Kabbalah Shabbat with yeah, hundreds of people. So are you ready, Aaron, for a one-minute summary? I don't remember who goes first, but maybe it's ready. you. You're ready. I'm on, yes. Let me know when you're okay. ready, and we will I'm, do one you. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> one-minute summary. One-minute summary. Right. Three, two, Three, one. Two, go, Aaron. One. Abraham is sitting outside after just circumcising himself, and some visitors come, and Abraham invites them over, finds out that they're angels and that they tell him that him and Sarah are going to have a son in the coming year. And also bad news that stone where his cousin Lot is living is going to be destroyed because the people there are Dirks and Abraham's like, Oh no, but what if there's only a few people? Will you save the city? Uh, but doesn't work, work out. There's not even 10 pe- people that are righteous. God is going to only save Lot and his family. The, Angel messengers take Lot and his family out. Lot's wife looks back, turns into salt. That's the end of that part. And then Isaac is born. Uh, Sarah has to send away Yishmael, the other brother. Um, And God tests Abraham and says, you have to sacrifice your son, Isaac. Oh. Mm. We'll never know what happened to Isaac on that mountain. Does Uh, he get sacrificed? Maybe you'll get to it. Maybe I'll get to it. Or maybe it'll be a mystery for our uh, listeners still. But let's see what I'm able to get through in a one-minute summary. One-minute summary. One-minute summary. Three, two, one. Go. Abraham Abraham is really old. Sarah is really old. These guests appear, um, and they say that Sarah is going to eventually have a child, and she laughs. also, God is going to destroy Sodom, and Abraham's like, well, what if there were 20 good people, or 10 good people, or 5 good people? He does this really fun kind of mind game um, that I find hilarious, but it doesn't work necessarily. Um, as they are leaving, Lot's, Lot's, told, Lot's wife's told not to turn back, to look back at the city, but she does, and she turns it to a pillar of salt. Um Lot's two daughters get their father drunk. A lot's happening. Uh, and also, later on, 
God is asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and he's about to do so, but the last minute, God's like, "No, I believe that you're cool now, and it doesn't have to happen." Um, uh, you got to it. <laughs> I Isaac isn't sacrificed. <laughs> I, I thought it was important for people to know who are on their edge of their seats um, that Isaac is not sacrificed. Mm. And that's where one of the second of the patriarchs comes from. So, yeah, are there more there than two? We'll find out. Uh, how many patriarchs are there? Yeah, how At many least. patriarchs are there? That's a more contentious question. So, Aaron, uh, the producers tell mm. me that you have uh, want to introduce a new segment where oh, we're yeah. going to look at a random passage. I've got a bit for us, all a new section, grab bag from the Parsha, where I've collected in this envelope that's making these crinkly noises uh, verses that I thought were great from Parsha Vayera, and I'm going to draw one out randomly for us to discuss. Let's do it. And let's do it. He's really doing it. This isn't a sound effect. I can see the paper. These sound effects are really corresponding to these pieces of paper. And I will choose. Or why don't you tell me to stop? I'm going to shuffle them and then you tell me when you're ready to choose one. I am ready. Oh, here we go. Oh, here's Whoa. a good one. This is from Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test, saying to him, Abraham, he, Abraham, answered, here I am. Or the famous Hebrew word, hineni. Hineni. Okay. Hineni. Mm. So, yeah, this is good, good random verse. Uh, maybe we could put it in context. This is the moment that Abraham is called before the binding of Isaac. So it's seemingly after, out of nowhere, it says sometime after what happened, there's this test. And we know that this test is going to be sacrificing a son. But in this verse, Abraham doesn't know that yet. And that's just the call. Abraham, are you there? Hineni. And Abraham's ready. Hineni, ready for anything. Maybe we can share with our listeners I feel like for a number of years, you, Paul, gave the Dvar Torah on Second Day Rosh Hashanah about this story of the binding of Isaac. Is that isn't that right? At least you did That's it at school, maybe I, for two years. I did this. The, it's technically more than that, even. So I did this parsha for two uh, Rosh Hashanahs. I also I looked at my Google Drive. I also did it at a regular. Mm-hmm. Devar Torah at a, at synagogue um, for Parshat Vayera, probably. Yeah, Parshat Vayera. Yeah. Um, seven years ago, it's just mm. funny too how um, I'm looking back. I'm like, oh, this is too long. I can't believe I wrote such a long Devar Torah. Like you're so hard on your on your old self. So I'm uh, sure people loved it. They they did love it. I will say, like, um, <laughs> I remember people I remember, always love Paul's public speaking. That's part of why we're doing this to our Torah, so more people can experience Paul's Torah takes. That, that's really what it, it was a crime for people not to hear these things. So we needed to get out here. <laughs> but also, out there. <laughs> people needed to hear your soothing voice as well. Like um, for the listen, for the <laughs> listeners as well. When my aunt met Aaron years and years ago, she said, "I felt so calm." 
being around him. She met him for 60 seconds. <laughs> he had this, like, good Soothed flow for him. Uh. <laughs> um, but Hineni, Does, you're right. Yeah, what, I do have a lot to say about Hineni. Uh. And luckily, those Divrei Torres, you know, I, I, don't, I think people will forgive me if I speak about the same thing. The thing I love about Hineni in the Tanakh is mm-hmm. it does seem to come at turning points. We see Hineni, obviously, here at the binding of Isaac. We also see it when Moses uh, approaches God with a burning bush. He also says Hineni. Mm-hmm. So these really kind of life-altering moments, we hear Hineni. I think I really, I'm trying to think back what I said seven years ago. I think I connected it to the concept of Jewish mindfulness, just that presentness. Mm-hmm. Here yeah. I am. Because it is such a strange thing to say to your creator. Here I am. Yeah, he knows. That's why he called you. Like, why? Why would he have to say Hineni? Like, it's almost for himself. Like, here I am. Some yeah, like, right. Maybe he it's said, even an anxious thing. Oh, uh, hey God! Right, God saying like, "Hey Paul," you gotta say, "Hey God," not like, "Yes, I am present." Here I am. It is a funny thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I find the Hineni. I don't know. I think it's a beautiful word, and I think that's why so many Jewish things, you know. I think allude to the phrase Hineni in music or in events. So uh, I really like that you were able to pick mm-hmm. this out. You know, the Akedah is obviously a horrifying story. Like, uh, I think we're supposed to be horrified by like it. Yeah. Right. We're meant to be troubled by child sacrifice. I think even in the Torah, it's like, Oh, not clear that Abraham's doing the right thing by being up for this. Yeah. But this is, I feel like what's what I like about this story is it feels really like, characteristic of the Torah to tell you this like really charged story with like no detail, like no emotional register. Like don't hear what Abraham's feeling. Don't hear what Isaac's feeling. It's like so condensed. And I feel like this is like this beautiful way that, or it's not, it's like a little bit surprising, but it like allows for exegesis for like building up lots of Midrashim and interpretations and questions and different ways of approaching it. I think that part of the opportunity of the Torah is that it's sometimes so sparse and strange. It's it's true. Like I will say that I, you know, I've obviously the Binding of Isaac, another story people have heard forever. I think there's a book about it. Mm-hmm. Whenever I heard mm-hmm. the story, I'm like, what is happening? Is Isaac just like, okay, you know, is Abraham saying to him, either A, hey, Isaac. Because, you, like you said, the details are so sparse. Did they have a conversation? He's like, you have to do this. And Isaac's like, okay, I'm a firm believer in this monotheism thing, Dad. Um, and he goes along with it. Or is it that Abraham is sparse with the details, doesn't say much, and he just says, I need you to lie down. And he ties him up. And maybe Isaac just trusts him. Or is it something more horrible? Like, does he... I only learned recently, you actually can't easily mm-hmm. knock people out. Because I was about to say, oh, did he knock him out? But apparently knocking people out is a narrative technique. It's actually very difficult to do in real life. Um, so maybe it was by force, except for that uh, Abraham is, I think, 99 or 100. 99, I want to say. Um, mm. So could yeah, he have been strong enough to do this? 99, yeah. So, but I think this does relate to Jewish kind of, Jewish text and Judaism is that, mm. like you said, if this mm-hmm. did, that it does kind of take a stance on mm. Jewish practice. Jewish practice does not include child sacrifice. 
Um, and then eventually, Jewish practice eventually doesn't include animal sacrifice either uh, after the destruction of the temple. So this sort of going from a very harsh belief system or way of life or religion uh, mm. to one that becomes a little bit more uh, kind and one that values life. I think Judaism does value life. Uh, I don't mean this in a political sense, but just that life is a big part of Judaism. Um, so I think kind of preserving the life of the child being important, I think this value continues to reverberate in Judaism and Jewish practice. I would, I think, I hear what you're saying, that maybe Judaism is always getting kinder, and I think that's what I want for my Jewish practice. Are you comfortable sharing with people your Friday nights, I think Saturday too, what you bless uh, that whole practice? Uh, yeah, Paul's referring to the fact that I also do Kiddush on a glass of milk after I do the traditional Kiddush, sanctification of Shabbat over grape juice or wine. I also say a blessing over milk. Um, and yeah, what does that, I have lots of thoughts about this. Uh, I don't know which one to pull out now, but part of me is thinking like uh, this practice started as a way of putting a frame around being vegetarian on Shabbat, saying if I, I don't eat milk and meat together, so having milk at my Shabbat table, no meat. Uh, and now I'm also wondering, like, uh, well, is where is the cow's milk coming from? Like, is that really the most, like, symbolic of substance of respecting cows? I think not. But it's now my custom, and it's hard to take it away. So that's where I am now in my journey. You can always add things, Aaron, but you can never take them away. This you can't is... take them away. Once you've done them three times, it's called a chazaka. You're, you have a precedent to doing three things. Can't stop. There is a chazaka on you and your family now of this, of this milk blessing. <laughs> this practice. And I find it just so interesting, too, because I'm, I'm so at the opposite end of the spectrum. I, I am... I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this. I am somewhat lactose intolerant, more so as I get older somehow, much like my whole maternal side of my family. So much so that even when I kept kosher, it was just a meat house. I didn't, I didn't keep any dairy. So like um, this thing that's so like precious to you that you're blessing, I'm always like, whoa, <laughs> like, gross, gross. <laughs> like my my least favorite thing in the world that makes me so sick. It's just you know. Mm, one person's bless our least favorite things. You know that saying, "Don't yuck someone's yum." And I know I'm breaking that rule now, but I I want to look at it at, at a beautiful way that this this thing that I so dislike just brings you so much joy and sustenance. Um, mm. I, I like to look at it at the opposite side that this thing that I never comes up in my day to day, like ever. Um, even now, not being kosher, strictly kosher, I um I just don't have milk in the house why would i have milk um so i i love those different perspectives on it um and you know something each I, their own yeah to each their own absolutely i'm not picking on you by any means i'm just uh i just always i think it's so okay funny. that you don't have milk in your house too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just um it just doesn't agree with me and i feel like what you brought out about everything's connected right 
which you brought out from this random uh, passage, uh, well, then we connected to the Akedah, which we then also connected to the evolution of Judaism, kind of moving forward. I feel like something I got out of this part, passage was about moving forward in general. When we think about, you know, the Akedah comes later where we're kind of making a pronouncement, okay, no more human sacrifice, because I, we didn't, me and Aaron didn't speak about this, but I think a lot of anthropologists believe that this is kind of a statement that's saying other people might sacrifice kids, Moabites probably, but we don't, and we're making a stand. Mm-hmm. Um, but similarly, when Lot's wife looks back and turns to salt, I just feel like there's a connection to these messages. What I got out of this perfect, per, sorry, what I got out of this personally was that we can't go back ever with anything in life. You can't go back to your old life. You can't go back to your old way. You can't go back to a younger time. You can only move forward. Um, Jewish time itself, compared to, I guess, other faiths, is linear. It is moving towards something. It's very clear and definite. It's not cyclical. Well, I'd say it's spir- spiraling, that it has combination of both. And I think that's important and meaningful for me about Judaism. I think what you're saying is true, that probably compared to other traditions that were around at the same time, that were very like cyclical and connected to probably earth-based cycles in a different way. Judaism has this thrust of history and things moving forward in the Torah with this narrative of our ancestors. And also I feel like with this movement towards a messianic age and like the world always getting better and being improved. But we're also on a cycle. The Torah that we're reading is coming back every year. The holidays are also cyclical. We're also in touch with the seasons. So it's a combination of returning to things and experiencing them differently. Kind of like when you use, have you used an apple peeler and it creates a spiral? That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. That kind of spiral. Like an apple apple peeler. peeler. You know, it's funny how there's some religious things I can never let go of. Uh, not that I want to, but something I can't let go of. I can't let go of kosher wine. Like wine needs to be kosher for me to bless it. Another thing I can't get, can never give up on is um, not being cremated. Uh, so it's funny when you mentioned the Messianic age, I was saying to my husband, like, oh, like I can't be cremated because if the Messiah were to come, I need to have a full body for that time. But you could be cremated. He's like, oh, so you don't want me to meet the messiah i was like no no like i'm i'm caught in this piece where intellectually i don't know if i really believe that but emotionally i i guess i guess emotionally i do believe it emotionally i believe that you know the messiah will come and i need my body whole for when he brings me back to life um so if i don't let if i let my husband get cremated like yeah i can't have a double standard He's okay to not be cremated. He's not going to lose any sleep over it. But um, he's like, oh, so <laughs> you're going to leave me out of this wonderful messianic age. <laughs> like, just, you're going to let this. Yeah. Are you, you're not going to fight for me? Be like, no, you can't be cremated. You need to be around. The messianic age, however, I think, you know, th- this again all ties together. This Parsha, it's about moving forward. You can't look back. We got rid of child sacrifices. You can't go back to Sodom. Mm -hmm. And the future will be so progressive. Well, that's great, Paul. (laughs) 
Does that take us to the end of the, this episode? That, that takes the us wrap to the up? end. That, that's the wrap up. You've, you've read my intonation correctly. Thank you so much for joining us for the Alpi Parsha podcast of Vayera. Uh, once again, I've been your host, Paul Suleika. And once again, I am still Aaron Rotenberg. Nice being with you. Have a great week. Have a great week. Thank you so much. See you folks soon.